Jag drömde att jag under min morgonpromenad hade förirrat mig till en för mig okänd stadsdel med öde gator och förfallna hus. Welcome to Here There Be Dragons. I'm your host, Jess Myers. This season, I'm taking you to Stockholm. Episode one, density. So many people in the complete cold and darkness. Very homogenous, very white space. It was an unknown territory. I belong in this space. It welcomes everyone. Stockholm, that's the place to be. I grew up in New Jersey, one of the densest states in the U.S. From there, I've lived in Boston, Brooklyn, spent periods in Paris, L.A., and Hanoi. For me, cities are loud. They're big and full of people. When I moved to Stockholm last year for a residency with the Swedish Arts Grants Committee, I'd never been to Sweden before, or even Scandinavia. But I figured, okay, city, I can do that. But when I landed, it was so different from cities that I've lived before. When a friend picked me up at Tisentralen, the central train station, I didn't realize that this was the most crowded that I would see the city. But November in Stockholm is an inside town. Dragging my suitcase up to my loan department, I barely saw another person. And listener, It was spooky. But the empty street wasn't just the November weather. There are lots of little jokes about the big, small city of Stockholm. Director Ingmar Bergman once said of the place, It is ridiculous to think of itself as a city. It's simply a rather large village set in the middle of some forest and some lakes. You wonder what it thinks it's doing there, looking so important. And it does look quite important. The smaller crowds don't stop the capital from bustling on in the same way that most capitals do. You have the old town, the cranes pulling up stories of housing, the busy shopping streets all neatly arranged over 14 islands and connected by 55 bridges. But Stockholm taught me how subjective density could be, whether it was on the subway, the Tibana, watching people scramble to sit alone in a four-seat pod, Or on the street, where, from a block away, pedestrians were already maneuvering not to bump into me. It had to be more than the weather. When I spoke to other transplants... Uh, My name is uh, Anna Sedraci. I'm 30 years old. Especially those from big cities. I heard the exact same thing. I'm from Morocco, uh, living in Stockholm since nine years. I'm a telecommunication engineer, currently working as a project manager in a consulting company. Uh, So it was uh, kind of low density. Uh, You could many times end up being by yourself in a big street, actually. Uh, And this was very striking for me because uh, I was expecting, for example, to walk in the city center and see people. You know, I was living alone. And sometimes you just get bored. You want to go to the city center and see some life, especially when it's November or December. But when I was going in the city center on, let's say, Wednesday afternoon at six o'clock, and it was dark, it was really empty, and this was making me a bit sad. Uh, It has nothing to do with the safety, but it's mostly was making me sad from the the angle that I did not see life. 
and if you were looking for life you had to go either to a bar or to a disco but but not in the street so this was feeling very strange for me because it's a big city uh, but i could not identify where people were anas was coming to stockholm from paris where observing the bustle of the street is a cornerstone of urban life for him the emptiness was surprising but when yasmin moved from somalia i am 22 years old I work as a student's assistant, and I also study. The emptiness of Stockholm streets felt more like a threat than a quirk. I even used to go out sometimes at like really, really late at night, like 12 o'clock, just to go for a walk. Because sometimes I would, uh, I was worried about my mom and my family, so I will have a little bit of a panic attack. But if I go for a walk, I'm fine. And there were always like young people standing around the station. They have a bad reputation. Like, oh, those youngsters that stand around the station, they're probably selling drugs, blah, blah, blah. But what I noticed is, instead of the whole place being empty, I felt safer that they were around. Okay, my name is in Swedish Samuel, and I'm Harik Samuel. <laughs> For Samuel. I am 32. Oh, God. I, and I actually do feel 32, in a good way, maybe. Coming from the capital of Ethiopia as a young teenager... The emptiness of Stockholm made it feel enormous and unfamiliar. And that was a challenge for him. My mission was like, okay, how do I get over this fear that I have for this new city? It was like massive and big in my head. Although Addis is like 10 times bigger than Stockholm, you know, but the size or the, it was an unknown territory. So I was like, and I got lost like a couple of places and I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to find the city. So when I was 14, I remember I made a conscience effort to get to know Stockholm and I like talked to my mom and I said like, okay, I'm taking the green line from one end to the other. So don't worry. Like, I just want to know. I made like a pact to myself that I would get to know Stockholm the way that I would like to feel comfortable in it and the way that to understand it. And that also meant understanding sociopolitical aspects of it. And not just, you know, just the physical part. I spent the winter of 2019 in Stockholm. And like Samuel, I also wanted to know the city. But most days, by the time I got to sightseeing, it was already dark out. And the streets were mostly empty. If I wanted to know the city, I'd have to find it first. For me, growing up in New Jersey, a city meant New York City. Eight million people bustling at each other's elbows day and night. City meant people on top of people on top of people. But the entire country of Sweden is 10 million people. Stockholm is both the capital and the largest city. 20% of the entire country lives in its metropolitan area. That's one in every five citizens. It's as if New York was actually 66 million people instead of just eight. So what I was seeing as... Natives were seeing as... And not everyone likes it. Both Yasmin... My name is Yasmin Osman. I'm 34 years old and I'm a life coach. And Tanvir. Um, my name is Tanvir Mansour and I'm 32 years old. I'm a freelance writer and producer. Lived for a few years in the city center, in neighborhoods called Kungsholmen and Sodermalm. 
the experience quickly left them searching for calmer and quieter places to be. So I am a high sensitive and being in these high density places with uh, just so much energy buzzing and especially it being a space where people go for fun, for socializing, they go where, there when they have a lot of energy and it's, it's my home, it's where I go to, you know, to rest and rejuvenate. That's something that's very difficult for me. I need a calm environment so I can feel comfortable and so I can just really decompress. I don't think it's good for like your, your health to live in, in such a crowded city with lots of noises, like it's noise pollution actually, and then, and then actual pollution from the cars and everything. And for me, just especially the worst thing about living at Sodoman was as soon as I stepped out of the door, I was in the city. There is no transition period. I really need that transition period. You can almost feel your blood pressure rising as you <laughs> arrive closer to the city. For Yasmin and Tanvir, the noise and the pollution put them on edge. But for Eric, it was also the sensation of being surrounded by a crowd, but connected to no one. Perhaps it's the stress of the whole situation that you almost feel like you're a part of a like big ant community where everyone is running around and having not really connecting to each other and just um, perhaps not having your like personal space. And uh, yeah, I'm just not... That's not something for me, actually. And I also think that a lot of people who, who likes nature also usually have a problem with that. But Stockholm's largeness is a relatively recent development. Sweden used to be known for losing its population. Starting in the mid-19th century, 1.5 million Swedes left the country, fleeing poverty and seeking opportunity. This was called the Great Emigration. At the time, 1.5 million people was a little under 40% of Sweden's entire population. But that didn't last long. Because of World War II, immigrants began flocking to the country seeking stability and work. Rural-based Swedes, too, began seeking opportunities in Sweden's cities. Researcher and architect Eric Stenberg explains that this era of industrialization created a double draw to Stockholm as both the capital and a center of commerce. Well, so my name is Eric Stenberg, and I'm an architect and associate professor at KTH, the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, Sweden. So as the uh, industrialization really took hold of, of Sweden and Stockholm became a not only the figurehead capital with the king, but also became the industrialized capital where a quarter of the country's production is happening. And I think it's even more now. The pull on the rest of Sweden was huge. So during the 20s, 30s and 40s, a large portion of the residents moving into the city came from the smaller cities and smaller communities all over Sweden. Even though there was a general urbanization in Sweden, so there was a movement from the countryside to the cities all over Sweden, there was also this secondary pull towards the capital. But all this would change after World War II. Unlike many European countries that were facing the aftermath of two land wars, Sweden was pretty stable in comparison. Gunilla Lundahl. How old are you? 82. 
It was around this period when Gunilla's family moved down to Stockholm from Westerbotten. <laughs> it's near to the polar circle. <laughs> How old were you when you came to Stockholm then? That's my producer, Adelie, you're hearing. So I went here to begin at school at about nine years old. So moving to Stockholm, what was the first neighborhood that you lived in? Huddinge, uh, it's outside. and ah, It belongs to bigger Stockholm, but I live there. So I didn't live inside, but my school was inside Stockholm. And can you describe the neighborhood? What is it like? Yeah, you could describe it as a bigger village <laughs> at that time. Now it's incorporated in the, in the bigger town, but at that time it was many villas and few uh, bigger <laughs> buildings and not so much buying and things like that. It it must have been a big change coming down from the north of Sweden near the polar circle. Yes, it was, um, <laughs> but um, uh, it was also a change to begin in school and things like that. So everything was changing. So many people. <laughs> I, I was um, instructed as a child that you have to bow um, for the other people so it was very busy when you came to Stockholm to do this to everybody you met at the street that was something Gunilla was growing up and so was her city she told us about moving through Stockholm as development happened all around her accommodating those who had migrated there and setting the stage for those to come I think already when I went to school I had all the time to pass a big hole which was the city now with her Torriet everything, it was just a hole. <laughs> so you went on bridges and things like that. Um, you could still be in nature when you were in Stockholm. Uh, where I lived, there was a uh, surrounding with uh, mountain, <laughs> the highest place of Stockholm. <laughs> and you could go there and have your morning coffee or something like that. So, and And Walking in Stockholm, I, I always liked to to be walking, and Stockholm wasn't so big, so you could very often go to the place you wanted to to see. So I think uh, Stockholm was still a bit familiar to me because it wasn't so big now. <laughs> The magnetic pull to the nation's capital that drew Gunilla and her family to Stockholm is still a strong force in Sweden today. There are mainly um, rural regions of Sweden who have had you know, half a century of depopulation. And of course, they are left with industries um, that were built up ma mainly around resources, uh, resource depletion such as iron ore or forestry or water power, hydroelectric power, etc., that have been abandoned in a sense. Those cities are, or, or areas are experiencing severe economic troubles and, and shortage of people. They have always um, lobbied and 
hoped for a politics of resource, dividing resources rather than concentrating resources. I would say one of the trends right now of urban research is, is again looking at this relationship between the countryside and the city centers and, and trying to find a way of fairer distribution of resources. Some residents who moved to the city from rural regions felt they had few other options. Arvid and Samantha moved to Stockholm from small towns in the last few years, but they might have had more options if more of the country's resources were shared. Here's Arvid. He's a 29-year-old who works in IT. It is the capital in Sweden. So it's, if you want to, if you want to explore your dreams and develop and do what you want, follow your dreams while still living in Sweden, it's Stockholm, that's the place to be. Where I'm growing up, there are no jobs. So you either have to find small, well, it's Swedish is called small job, but uh, sporadic jobs. There's no university, so you can't study in the town. So you either have to uh, find any job, whatever it is. You have to move from there. And here's Samantha. Well, my name is Samantha, and I'm 18, and I'm studying jazz at the moment. So I play the double bass, and I sing, and I'm working at a strip club here in Stockholm to just save up some money for, like, after graduation. People that are, like, born here and, like, have grown up in Stockholm, and I, like, I see this a lot, like, in my class, because half of us come from, like, other cities, as they take in people from all of Sweden, and, like, half of the people in my class is, like, from Stockholm. And those people that live here and, like, has grown up here, they don't really realize the privilege of being in the capital, where you have, like, so many options on, like, what to do and where to go, and, like, the school you want to go to, like... You can get whatever education in the same city as you live. But uh, in Sweden, like, we don't have, like, a lot of big cities. So everything is, like, centered to the capital. If you want to become something, you have to, like, move. I mean, it's kind of sad because it's hard for new things to blossom in the smaller cities because everybody that has, like, ambition is expected to go to the capital. For some Swedes, the pull to the capital was a necessity to find work and thrive. But others saw the city's density as new and exciting. As Sweden attracted immigrants from all over the world, Stockholm became an increasingly global city. So my name is Ulrika. I'm 49 years old. I'm a professor of gender studies at Uppsala University, and I live in Stockholm, Södermalm. Um, and I remember very clearly when I came back from my first run in the U.S., in 94, I lived in Stockholm again for a year, and then I'd lived in Chicago and places like that, and I just remember feeling like Stockholm had become more of a global city, like a much more diverse city um, by the mid-90s than it was before. And I remember feeling very excited about that, you know, <laughs> whereas people were sort of, what's going on with the, you know, the country and the city? I was like, well, finally, it's looking like the world, you know? Ulrika was excited to see that Stockholm was attracting people from all over the world. But if you're a longtime listener, you know that all migration is not created equal. While Swedes coming into Stockholm from rural towns had to find a means to fit into urban culture, they didn't have to contend with suspicion or scrutiny about whether they belonged in the city at all. For Stockholmers of color, the homogeneity of the city meant that crowds could make the feeling of otherness more intense. 
Stockholm as a city is very white. When you're one of a crowd of many, any scrutiny can pull you out of your ease and into anxiety. Walking down the street as a black woman, I would find myself very conscious of my behavior, the volume of my voice, the amount of space I took up, and the number of eyes on me. Black Stockholmers help me understand the feeling. Here's Yasmin again. She's the 34-year-old life coach you heard earlier. I would say as a kid, I felt least safe in the central part of Stockholm. So, Östermalm and Tesentralen. The places where we would go for entertainment, go window shopping or to hang out at cafes, the places that are very high density, a lot of movement, a lot of traffic. And I would just say because of being a young black child um, in Stockholm in a time when um, you don't necessarily see that many black people or, or people of color in the city, the looks that I would get, I would have a lot of anxiety about stepping into a store. I would be very aware of my body. My hands have to be outside of my pockets so people can see I'm not stealing anything. If I'm going to a cafe, I would be very conscious of myself to not make too much noise, to not be a nuisance, just very aware of the looks I would get and how I would be, quote unquote, welcomed into certain spaces. And so those became the areas where I felt most uncomfortable energy that I didn't really, I had a hard time verbalizing and describing. Uh, and it just was something that I internalized. In my adult life, I've also lived in Hunstul, which is south side of inner Stockholm. That was also a very high density place, but also very homogenous, very white space. And I was very conscious of that. As soon as I left the building, I was very aware of what I wore, how I carried myself, which sentiment I embodied physically and had to claim my space in a different way and also had to prepare myself mentally. You know, sometimes maybe I'd bump into a neighbor um, in the stairs in my building and say hi and not get a high back or just get a an uncomfortable look. I have a friend who used to joke that my, she thinks my project is to go educate white people about black people. Um, my name is Andrea Davis Kronlund. I'm 53. I work at the Ethnographic Museum in Stockholm. I work as an exhibitions producer. It's it's probably, I kind of feel like there's curiosity. I think people people pick up on the fact that I feel I belong in this space and they come and question me about it. Who are you? Where are you, where are you from? Why? Sort of find subtle ways to find out why I think I belong in, in their space, in a space that they define as theirs. And I'm like, you know, so so for me, it's I, I'm totally fine with it, with explaining to them that oh, this is not your space right now. This is my space. You know, we can share it. You know, we can talk about it. But just making sure that there is some pushback. I feel it's very important for my kids, for I, I see with the young people now that they've found their voices. But one generation before, people were very afraid of being and I still see them being afraid to get to go into spaces that they they consider are white spaces. And sometimes even the white people in those spaces aren't defining it that way. But there's that fear that prevents people from even attempting. And I personally think it's problematic. So I'm going to do everything personally that I can do to sort of change that.
So I'm totally open to the conversation, um, but I'm really not open to the, the typical conversation where it begins to be a sort of attack as to why do you think you should be here, you shouldn't be here. For Andrea and Yasmin, the density of white Stockholmers meant they had to create strategies to feel comfortable in a crowd, whether it was confronting it head on or carefully signaling belonging. Both of these strategies can be exhausting, and for me, it made being alone in the street seem not so bad after all. And this is maybe something specifically uh, applicable to a city like Stockholm, where it welcomes everyone. So because it's it's empty, uh, not in a bad way. When I when I what I mean is that you always feel that you own the place because you're alone there. And it might be the biggest street in the city center and you're alone there uh, in the complete cold and darkness, which is uh, somehow also a nice feeling. It's not always bad. So this is also how you define inclusion. Uh, if, if nobody is there and you're there, you feel that all this is yours and you feel di- like automatically and directly that, that you belong to the place because you, there is a connection between you and the place. For the transplant to Stockholm, and I include myself in this, Stockholmers' anxieties over the density of their city seems... overstated, to put it gently. At first, anyway. But as soon as you lift the lid on those anxieties and sift through the myriad reasons behind them, whether it's race, class, the urban-rural divide, the city's slow urbanization, you begin to find stories as complex as the capital itself. This is what drew the Here There Be Dragons team to Stockholm. For all the seeming calm and quiet, there were many stories of fear, safety, and identity to be told. Join us next episode where we get more of our bearing in the city by starting in the center, the neighborhoods that started it all, or what we call the malls. For this season of the podcast, we are happy to report we are produced with the generous support of the Graham Foundation and Konstnaushnamden, the Swedish Arts Grants Committee, based in Stockholm. Thankfully, our credits have gotten quite a bit longer. First and foremost, we welcome back our senior producer, Adelie Pajman-Ponte. And we would also like to welcome our team of graduate assistants from the architecture department at Rhode Island School of Design. Bilal Ismail Ahmed. Daniel Guerrero. Kimberly Ayala Nahera. Uthman Aloa. Fatu Kamara consults for the show. Corey Jacobs does the music. And the wonderful Adrian Lilly does our sound design. If you're not subscribed to our Patreon yet, you're missing out on some absolutely beautiful HTBD stickers and some exclusive mini episodes spotlighting some of the amazing digressions that we can't fit into the show. You can find those by signing up for our Patreon to support the podcast at HTBD Podcast on Patreon. We're an independent outfit with no commercials, so if you can help us out, we'd really appreciate it. If you can't get enough of us, find us on social media, which you can locate in our show notes, alongside our website and newsletter, which are filled with fun content like readings, maps, and videos. 
If you have a comment or a question, feel free to record it on your voice notes. Keep it brief, please. And send it to us at htbdpodcast at gmail.com. You might end up on the show. And last, but certainly not least, please rate and review us five shining stars on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to us on. It really helps other people find the show. So until next time, this has been Here There Be Dragons. I dreamt that during my morning walk, I lost my way among empty streets with ruined houses. 